Welcome to the Beatrice Institute podcast. I'm your host, Ryan McDermott. I'm a professor of English at the University of Pittsburgh and faculty director of the Beatrice Institute, an ecumenical learning and research community that supports advanced inquiry in the Christian intellectual and cultural traditions. Animated by intellectual friendship, inside and outside the academy, Beatrice Institute serves all who pursue the beautiful, the true, and the good. I'm here today with Brent Robbins, who is chair and professor of psychology at Point Park University. And we're going to be talking about the religious dimensions of psychological coping during a time of stress and crisis like this. So, Brent, I was wondering first if you could just tell us a little bit about your own specialty in psychology and um, so wh- and where you're coming at things from. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I'm, I have a uh, specialty in psychology of religion and spirituality. I teach psychology of religion and spirituality at, at Point Park uh, at the undergraduate level and uh, at the graduate level. We have a doctoral program and a master's program, an undergraduate program, and I teach a little bit in all those levels of the university in our, in our psychology programs. And so a lot of our emphasis is on sort of in, in a critical engagement with how we develop systems of understanding human suffering and psychopathology and treatments and sort of critically evaluating the sort of philosophical assumptions underneath those systems of uh, diagnosis and care. And so one of the things that I bring among others, is a more of a theological and a religious and spiritual viewpoint on suffering and coping and how people use uh, or make use of their religious and spiritual lives as a way of uh, creating resiliency and as a way of uh, you know, helping to heal from psychological wounds and also, as, uh, and also ways that sometimes religion and spirituality can go bad, right? The ways that mm-hmm. it can take maladaptive forms and, and, and can do damage to people, ourselves and other people. So what have you been seeing in terms of the present moment? I mean, this is right now, it's Tuesday, March 24th, and... Yeah, well, I, I think it's, it's, it's a very, I mean, it's a, just a very strange time for everybody. No one's ever experienced anything like this. We can't even turn to people who have the wisdom of having gone through something like this, because nobody, no matter what age, has seen anything like this in our lifetime, where, where you have sort of a global economic shutdown in this sort of pandemic virus that's, that's really genuinely life-threatening, especially to older people and vulnerable people. So I think that everyone's really scared. I mean, and, and not just students. We're all, everybody, if we're honest with ourselves, it's a scary time, and, and there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think that uh, already I saw a lot of younger people have been really struggling, even up before this time, with like a kind of existential hope, right, in the future. Because they're hearing a lot of messages about environmental catastrophe. They're struggling with a lot of debt, you know, uh, coming out with a lot of debt from school and with uh, employment opportunities not being particularly optimistic. And so they're already facing a lot of challenges, the younger people and the millennial and Generation Z groups. And I think this on top of it, I think I'm seeing just a lot of people, a lot of young people just sort of lagging in terms of their motivation, like just struggling a bit to sort of get to keep the wheels on, so to speak, and to keep moving. I'm also seeing some really serious situations with not a lot, but with a few students who are really facing homelessness because they are being asked 
to leave the dormitories where they're living and they have to find some place to live. I don't know how, how things are going at Pitt, but fortunately at Point Park, Point Park has allowed the students to stay there. They didn't just sort of kick them out right away. And students who don't have livings aren't set up to have uh, a place to go. Administration is working with them very closely to help them find a place to live once the dorms close and allowing them to stay there while they're finding solutions to those problems. So I, I was glad to hear that. But I've heard horror stories at other universities where students are just kicked out of the dorms and or not allowed to return to the dorms, and they, they're, they're literally left on the streets with nowhere to go. That talk about uh, stress, um, so that's going to create all kinds of problems, not just psychological, but you know, actual physical danger uh, right. to people being in a, in, a, in a situation of homelessness. And, and so in this time, many people turn to religion as a, as a form of coping, but I guess there, there are multiple ways to do this. What are some of the, the forms of coping that, that develop in religious traditions? Yeah, generally, you know, psychologists have identified a variety of forms of religious coping, coping to find meaning, to gain control, to gain comfort and a sense of closeness to God, to gain a sense of intimacy with God, and even to achieve life transformation, to, tra to transform our lives in one form or another. So under each of these different types of coping, psychologists have identified you know, different varieties of coping under each of those aims. So for example, people who are looking to find meaning can turn to various forms of religious coping. So one way that seems to be very helpful for people is to find in their religion a means to redefine a stressor as benevolent hmm. and potentially beneficial. You know, for example, most of us are finding ourselves cloistered at home, isolated from others. If you're alone, people are feeling pretty lonely and cut off from the world. But from a Christian perspective, being alone can afford us an opportunity to use that alone time and isolation to pray and commune with God mm -hmm. and sort of reconnect in a way that it's a real opportunity for a prayer life, you know. I mean, you think about like the Desert Fathers, for example, who you know went into the desert and, and spent years in isolation, mm -hmm. cultivating a depthful prayer life, a contemplative prayer life. And I think this is for a lot of people. People might not even be thinking about this yet as a real opportunity to deepen our prayer life and our relationship to God. To use that silence and the quiet and the aloneness as as a, as a real benefit for our spiritual lives. I know. Like, I, just one example. So I know that, I love that idea. I know that for me personally, one of the obstacles to taking advantage of that is this sense that everything's changing hour by hour and I just right. want to, I want to check the news and it's very easy to let my digital window to the world block yeah. out any potential silence. Do you have any like psychological moves that I could make to to try to create that peace and silence? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm on social media a lot and I'm reading the news and watching, watching the networks like everybody is. And I definitely feel my blood pressure going up a lot of times, you know, in those situations, because it's just like a lot of it. And you think to some extent, the news has, they have a kind of self-interest in rationing up the rhetoric and getting people scared so they continue to remain tuned in. So it's not always healthy to, to be linking up to, to the news all the time uh, as a source of information occasionally. So I think maybe rationing those sources is a good idea. Checking in the news maybe once a day, probably enough. <laughs> you know, you're going to get all the big headlines and you're going to see the important information you need to know. And, 
maybe uh, rationing how much you spend time on social media and maybe spending more time, budgeting more time to spend in prayer. Maybe prayer, reading scripture, and you know, maybe even uh, if you have some hymns or opening up YouTube and listening to some, some hymns or turning on the radio and listening to some uh, religious radio. There's some really good options uh, for religious radio to play hymns, and and that can really sort of change the whole mood and ambiance in the house and orient us towards uh, the spiritual dimension and and uh, where where we're spending most of the day sort of taking advantage of that opportunity to sort of reconnect with God and not so much getting weighed down by the burden that uh, that's happening in the world right now. Part of the struggle with people spiritually right now is I think. Some people may be experiencing this event or interpreting this event as a punishment, right? Maybe God is punishing mm-hmm. us for our sins. So that's that's a sort of maybe a less adaptive form of religious coping. It can foster you know feelings of shame, maybe resentment and anger toward God. But if you see that in a different light, you know you can look at the challenge of our situation maybe as an opportunity to repent of sin, return to the Lord in prayer, trust in the Lord's mercy, right? So. Maybe there's something medicinal in what God hasn't planned here. And uh, even if God didn't intend for these things to happen, we know, most of us uh, who are faithful know that even when evil things happen in the world, God finds a way to transform that and, his, and transforms that using his grace uh, to make it into something good. So we can have hope in that. So I think it's better to focus not so much on this idea of God is punishing us as much as there's some bad things happening in the world. And there, but God will find a way to transform that into something good. And I think that's a more adaptive way of viewing uh, what's happening around us. And so maybe yeah. it just makes us to tune into when we're listening to the news or we're watching events that are happening, to maybe tuning, tune in a little bit differently, looking for the silver lining, looking for the opportunity that God is giving us in this moment of crisis. Maybe, maybe it, it gives us an opportunity to think about ways that we could be charitable and help others who are in need. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, maybe it gives us an opportunity to reconnect with God. Maybe it gives us an opportunity to build our relationships with our family because we're stuck with them <laughs> for months at a time, probably. Uh, and it, maybe that's a wonderful opportunity to deepen intimacy with our family, which is, again, a way to reconnect with God. Because I think when we're, when we're building our relationships with the family, I think that, very, that also tends to strengthen our relationship with God as well. And vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, you know, my academic specialty is 14th century English literature. And oh. so the, I mean, the greatest crisis, epidemiological crisis that we've had in history was the, the bubonic plague, the, ba- the Black Plague that first hit Europe between 1347 and 1353. And between, in 18 months from 1348 to 1350 in England, it wiped out about 40% of the population. So, I mean, just profound. And But, you know, interestingly, historians think that one reason why it took upwards of 200 years to develop effective uh, epidemiological strategies for countering the bubonic plague which actually returned in uh, 30 waves over the course of 200 years, was that the idea that this was God's punishment being visited on a sinful and rebellious people was so prominent and so all-explaining that some historians think that this actually kind of limited the search for other 
explanations of how this disease um, arises. And then also you have uh, theologians and poets writing in the aftermath of the plague and saying, and saying you would think that this plague that killed 40% of the people and was commonly interpreted as judgment on sinners would have actually changed the behavior of people, <laughs> but it hasn't. <laughs> so, well, yeah, that's funny because uh, I think that really makes sense because if you look at the research, what we find actually is when people are focused on a crisis and when they look at a crisis and they tend to interpret it as a punishment from God, it tends to have maladaptive consequences. In mm-hmm. other words, it really it, it tends to uh, be correlated with increased pathology, less well-being, less resiliency, even physiological diseases mm. uh, take longer to heal if people interpret them as a punishment from God, right? So there's a real there's some real scientific evidence that that not only is that bad psychologically, but it's probably incorrect theologically, right? <laughs> because yeah. if it's yeah. correct theologically, then recognizing the truth of it would probably make you better, right? Right. But it, it doesn't seem to work like that, right? So it seems to point to a different theology. God doesn't want us to suffer, right? These things right. aren't happening because they're God's will. There's some other force operating in the world. Maybe it's a consequence of uh, it's just that. You know, sometimes things, the natural world, the fallen world, there are things that happen that affect both the innocent and the guilty, right? The, and uh, and instead of seeing viewing it as a punishment from sin, we can look we can look more to God as as a resource to help us find how we can be strengthened by that crisis, how we can find the grace in the struggle rather than focusing on the idea that uh, the crisis is some kind of punishment from God. And you, and you mentioned before that one of those kind of methods for dealing with psychological stress and vulnerability in a time of trauma or crisis is, is to get outside of ourselves, to connect with the people around us and I know that, you know, for some of us that we're enclosed in a household that has other people, we're with members of our family. And so that can be an opportunity to reconnect. But in so many other ways, the opportunities we have to reach out beyond ourselves and connect with others have been disrupted. I mean, I know that you and your family spend many Saturdays downtown working with the Catholic Worker Movement to actually, you know, be in person with the homeless community that lives downtown. And presumably you can't do that anymore. So what are the spiritual resources and other religious resources that you think that we can use to get outside of ourselves in this time of like disrupted social contact? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I've definitely felt uh, a real sense of deprivation in, in that that's the, the, the a very important part. I mean, I, I uh, just in terms of my own spiritual life, I teach CCD, you know, I teach students every Wednesday and that got canceled and that's been disappointing because you know this is a point in the semester where you really start to develop a kind of you're, you know all the names of the students and you're really beginning to make a connection with them personally and you can really begin to have an impact on them and then all of a sudden you know that's that's I'm probably not going to see them again and they're going to go on to get confirmation you know uh, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to be there when they go to go through confirmation or when you know going out to Northside you know every week on Saturday we deliver food to the homeless and it's not just really about food and clothing which we provide but a lot of what people are looking for is that social connection so when people come we know we get to learn their names and they learn our names and we remember them we remember their stories and uh, I spend a lot of my time really just trying to listen to people and, uh, and just enjoying their company and I think 
I'm really missing that right now. So yeah, I think that that's not even to mention the fact that people can't go to church right now because most churches have closed their doors. And that, I think people are really feeling that very acutely. I mean, I was just, I was on Facebook and one of my colleagues was really just breaking down, like just in disbelief over the fact that his uh, parish will not be celebrating, you know, Easter, right? Uh, there won't be any Easter service. I mean, I can't, I would, if you would have told me that was going to happen, I wouldn't have believed it almost, right? So I think a lot of people are in a disbelief feeling uh, cut off from that, uh, from their church community. So I think this is very difficult and I don't want to sugarcoat it, but <laughs> there are things that we can do, I think, to reach out and connect with people. Like one of the things we've been doing in our church is they have online services, right? So we've been participating in that. And uh, I'm Catholic, so we have uh, Liturgy of the Hours, so you can tune in to Liturgy of the Hours that are that are going on. Now, that's a one-way kind of thing because they're streaming, so it's not like you're connecting with people. So I think it's another another thing that uh, I've been doing, and I think I'd recommend for others to do, is to try to see if you can make those, you know, take the connections that you have, maybe through social media or email, and see if you can create some online communities where you can have regular meetings, maybe a Bible study group or maybe a, uh, a prayer group, uh, or some other kind of support group, I would recommend it not be something where people are debating theology or something like that, because that always goes bad. <laughs> you know, uh, you could do that. But I would say if you're looking for peace and comfort, I would recommend prayer groups, groups that are more about Bible study, not debating scripture, but maybe doing something more kind of a contemplative kind of uh, mm -hmm. scripture reading where people are being supportive and edifying and not so much debating about the meaning of scripture. I think that those would be helpful. There's nothing wrong with debating online, but it can be make things more stressful because you always have a few people in the group who maybe are trying to, you know, what's the word, troll? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then you got to manage it, and that could make things more stressful than if you hadn't done it at all. So I would say move towards more contemplative, prayer, and uh, supportive kinds of groups where people are really trying to uplift one another in prayer and uh, trying to lift people's spirits. So this is a time when everything feels out of control. There's very little that's in our control. And, you know, I, I think that religion can be a way to try to take control. Could you talk a little bit about those, you know, the caution about religious control and the temptation to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's somebody who's done a lot of research on this. His name is Kenneth Pargament, and he's, he talks about uh, how there's different kinds of uh, ways of using religion as a form of sort of control, and they have different kinds of outcomes. So some people, one is called the self-directing approach, where you, you tend to keep control, you tend to see yourself as the one in control, and you don't rely really much on God. And uh, then there's like the opposite of that, which is called the deferring approach, where you tend to yield control to God in a way that's just passive, right? Like you're not really actively participating. Neither of those extremes are very good in terms of outcomes like they they don't seem to yield very positive psychological outcomes uh the ones that tend to be more positive are, are what's called the collaborative approach right where you see yourself as an active partner with god in coping with the situation so like like in the when you, you gave the example of the bubonic plague the black death right the you know if you see well this is just a punishment of god there's nothing i can do about this well that might stop you from looking for the source of pathology right and <laughs> maybe engaging in some kind of science uh, but in, in, in a more practical sense in our everyday lives, if we're too passive, right? If we don't, if we if we if we don't accept 
you know, our own, if we don't take our own initiative, right, and believe that sort of maybe God is giving us some grace in that initiative, then we, we won't take advantage of opportunities that God has placed before us, right, because we'll just be passive. So in the more collaborative approach, you know, I, I see God as grace working through me, right? So my actions are, are a way that God can help me, right, through, through my own uh, initiative. You know, God helps those who help themselves. It's, it's, a, it's a cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason, right? Uh, and then there's another approach, which is uh, the surrender approach, which is where a person might not yield all their control to God, but they may, and they might may yield some degree of personal control. But I think there are some times when it's actually pretty healthy, like when we're, there's a situation where we absolutely really don't have any control, right? Mm-hmm. In a situation where, I, I, like right now, I have, uh, you know, a very close family member of mine who is going through chemotherapy, and they're just about to get their test back to find out how effective the chemotherapy is, whether they're, and, and that has major implications for their prognosis, right? So essentially they're learning about whether they have a chance to live or they're going to die. So right now he's waiting for those results. That's not a situation where he can do much about that situation mm-hmm. other than wait. Those may be good times to really practice a kind of surrendering, right? Surrendering to God, what is God's will? So I think that there's some discernment we have to make between when a more active form of coping is a way to, it, it, psychologists call it problem-focused coping. Sometimes problem-focused coping is really a good thing. That's where we take action and take initiative. And we believe, most, most believe that God can work through our actions if we're, if we're living prayerfully and staying connected to God, we can work through our actions and, and guide our actions if we have a prayer life. But then there's sometimes when, you know, Active coping might not be the best way, and a more more of a surrender might be the best way of handling an uncontrollable situation. And it's hard to know sometimes. Sometimes it's ambiguous. Sometimes if the if the situation is ambiguous, I think we find that it's better to err on the side of a problem focused coping if it's ambiguous. In other words, you're better to assume that you can do something about the problem than to assume you can't do something about the problem. But then when you sincerely try and you realize that there's nothing that can be done and you simply have to accept, you know, the outcome, that would be a point where surrendering to God is a really a healthy form of uh, coping, a way of shifting one's attitude towards one's situation mm-hmm. and sort of giving it over to God to handle. And that can be very comforting. I think people who go through, who have addiction, alcoholism and drug addiction, do a lot of that. Uh, that that surrender is a very important part of the recovery process, right? Where they're they're realizing they're sort of helpless to change the fact that they have this addiction, and once they surrender, then it, in, in an interesting way, it kind of opens up their ability to deepen and, and be much more successful in the recovery process. So it sounds like what you're saying is that the positive and negative forms of of coping are kind of situational. What, what What's appropriate yes. depends on the situation and, and the circumstances. That's right. So it depends on the circumstances. So if you, if you have a situation where you can really do something about it, but you don't because you have a passive form of coping, that, that over the long term, that's we're going to see negative consequences psychologically from that. And just in your life, right? Your mm-hmm. life circumstances are going to, your life is going to be more impoverished if you miss opportunities that you don't take. On the other hand, if you have a situation that's truly uncontrollable and you persist, that can be very frustrating and it can make the person more distressed than simply accepting, you know, shifting into a mode where they're accepting their situation and turning it over to God, which can be very comforting for people when they truly don't have control. 
It's it strikes. I mean, this is this really points up to me a stark contrast between the current crisis and World War II, which is another crisis that this is often being compared to, and that is that you know in World War II it was a call to action. I mean, and and it seems like probably even more now than in the 1940s, contemporary American culture is a culture that's all about taking control of our problems, taking control of our actions and like problem solving. Like we're a technocratic, bureaucratic culture that wants to just get things done. And yet what we're being called on to do is actually passive coping, like just stay indoors and don't do anything. Yeah, I think this is very, this is totally contrary to the American, the American habitus, so to speak, the American tendency to translate a crisis into action, right? And, and we're actually being asked to do nothing, stay at home and do nothing. That's just a completely contrary to what, you know, our national spirit is. And I think that makes it much more difficult to, uh, to cope when it, when something is like, when, when a coping process cuts against the grain of your tendency or habit, right? Yeah, your uh, your sort of more habituated trait uh, to be more active, it can be much harder to surrender. So we may be in a situation now in a country where we're, there's not very much we can do but stay at home, shelter, and you know surrender. And this might be a time for surrendering. Surrender this to God, and uh, until such a time where we're able to go back to our lives when we can maybe take more active forms of coping again. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it it also makes me think of the kind of spiritual solidarity that that we have across the body of Christ, even though we're not able to meet each other on on Sundays and so on. There are many among us who are there on the front lines. You know, they they're not being called to stay at home. They're actually essential. They're they're doing medical work. They're taking out the trash, uh, stocking the, the supermarket shelves, and they're very active. And so in a way, there's this kind of like, you know, a, a kind of trade-off where we get to offer up the difficulty of our passive, necessarily, you know, necessarily passive roles for those people who are out there actively. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I, yeah. I would say vice versa. And, yeah. yeah, I think we could be, uh, I mean, it, it's a good time for us to be really be praying for the the people who are really risking their lives in the medical community and in the grocery stores and even in, you know, even in the banks, I think are staying open that where the people are who have to be out there sort of taking care of things that are really essential those life sustaining businesses that are allowed to stay open. Those people are r- literally risking their lives being exposed to the virus that's, that's circulating out there. And so I think we, they really need our prayers, and that's certainly something we can do. We can do petitionary, intercessory prayer, and uh, I think that's, you know, uh, that's a lot of pastors I'm finding are calling for that right now, right? Mm-hmm. Calling for prayer, having prayer groups. Yeah, I'm, I'm Catholic, and I was, you know, and the, the Pope has, uh, Pope Francis has called for, you know, international prayer, even at particular times of the day, even. He asked mm-hmm. for prayer of the rosary with everybody at the same time and i think recently i can't remember the date but there's an upcoming date where he's he's called on all christians uh to come together in prayer at a, at a certain date i think it's might be this saturday I have it on my calendar but you can probably google it so i think prayer prayer is not just passive it can be active and uh so i think we, may, we need that's definitely a way that we can sort of channel some of our national spirit towards active coping into our prayer life 
Yeah, that's great. And I, I'm sorry I didn't give you a heads up on this uh, beforehand, but one of the things we're trying to do to wrap up every conversation is just to get any recommendations that you might have for things that you're reading or listening to or watching right now that you find helpful in any way. Yeah, I don't. I didn't have anything prepared, but I would say, geez, I'm reading so much stuff right now because it's because I don't have much else to do other than read and, and uh, read things. But I would say that one of my favorite things to do right it, all the time, but I think lately is he's really had some really good content. Is Bishop Robert Barron and his uh, YouTube channel has some really great uh, mm-hmm. commentary. And that, that what I said earlier about taking advantage of your isolation in order to deepen your prayer life. He just did, I basically stole, I, I shouldn't acknowledge uh, that example right from Bishop Barrett. Sorry, Bishop Barrett, I didn't mean to plagiarize, but uh, that was that was uh, inspired by a wonderful talk that he did. He does these great little 10-minute kind of clips where he talks about some very difficult theological concepts, but he makes them very relatable and understandable. Mm-hmm. So I, that, I, that's one source that I recommend. Yeah, off the top of my head, that's all I can think about right now. Yeah, okay. Well, if you come up with others, uh, send them my way, and then we can post them okay. along with along with these okay. recordings. I will. Yeah, well, okay. Brent Robbins, thank you very much. Uh, this has been super helpful, and I wish you all yeah. the best. Yeah, thank you very much. It's, it's been an honor to uh, you know have this conversation with you. Hopefully, people will be able to benefit from it. God bless. Thanks for listening. If you appreciated this episode, please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. We love to hear from listeners. Chat with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also learn more about our programming at beatriceinstitute.org. That's beatriceinstitute, all one word, dot org. And if you are a university student or faculty member in Pittsburgh and would like to be involved locally, check out our fellows program and get in touch. This episode was mixed and mastered by Yellow Music and Sound. Until next time, I'm Ryan McDermott. Go with God. (laughs) 